All right, Rabbi, say good morning, good morning. Let us begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning's shear. To thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Av, Paul and Kathy Pollock, for dedicating the Shiurim and Joshua's this month in honor of their grandchildren, Tikva Esther, Simcha, Avigai, Milan, Milicenta. May they grow to become the best version of themselves. For Yehuda ben Michal, our week of learning sponsors, Binyamin Fleischman in memory of his father, Reb Shmuel Yudel, Ben Binyamin Yaakov, Selma Wolf, with immense Hakaras Hatov, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for the Refuah Shlema of her granddaughter, Dr. Carrie Davis, and our Dafyomi sponsors, Matt and Rishona Leibovitz, in honor of the Bris, of Akiva Ben Sion this past Shabbos, and with tremendous hakaras hatov to the entire kiva, may Akiva Ben Sion emerz Hashem bizocha to enter into Torah to chupa and to ma'isim tovim and live a beautiful life of kiddush Hashem ameva esim shanim tovos. I will say with that, let us begin. We have a beautiful, beautiful daf. The next couple of, as you've seen already, the last couple of days, next couple of days, we have some incredible, incredible sugyas. So today's daf is mentes. 49, we are picking up on Memchesim of Days 48, we have a lot to do today, let's actually pick up from the Mesve on 48B, which is 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 22, 24, 26 lines up from the bottom, probably easier to count from the top, okay, so the question is as follows, so Mesve, no, no, we, we actually started this yesterday, but let's just begin again, so, so just to remember, where are we holding over here? The Mishnah introduced us to this idea that once the, once the father hands over the daughter, gives over the daughter into the, to the shluchim, to the agents of the Baal, she has essentially entered into the domain of her husband. The machlokis that we were seeing, ah, you know, I forgot to, okay, so, so the, the machlokis that we were swinging yesterday's daf is, no, I forgot to get home. The, the machlokis that we were looking at yesterday's daf is halacha lamaisa, what does that accomplish? In other words, when we say that she enters into the domain of her husband, what does that mean? Does that mean totally into the domain of her husband in all matters, or perhaps for certain matters, but not for others? So for example, we've seen already in Machlokas, Rav says it works for everything except for Truma. So when she's handed over into the Rishus of her husband, she's essentially in the domain of her husband, but if her husband's a Kohen, she can't yet eat Truma. That was Shmuel. Rish Lakish said for Ksuva, again, we saw a number of different opinions. So the last two opinions we saw was Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi, Rabbi Hanina, who both held that Halacha Lamaisa, when she is given over from the father to the Shluchim of the husband, she is totally in the domain of her husband, including for Truma, including for Truma consumption. So that's what we're picking up over here. So Mursa may say, Halacha Avim Shluchi Habal. If the father went to the shluchim of the Baal, Oshahochu shluchia, Avim shluchia Baal, or ultimately again the agents of the father went with the agents of the, of the Baal, Oshahaisala Chotzer Bederech, or she had, let's say again, so if the images, they're traveling now to the husband's home, they're traveling now to the Chopah, and let's say she had a Chotzer on the way, Vinichnasa Imo Lalun, and she goes in with her husband to go ahead and spend the night. Now, I want to point out over here that Rashi points out, V'nichna Sa'imo, in Baila, now it's, it's her husband because they've already had Eresin, they have not yet had Nisuin, and they're spending the night in this Chatzar, Kishar Lina B'derech Ba'alma, V'lo L'shem Nisuin. So they're sleeping in the same place, 
but they're not sleeping together. In other words, that, that ultimately they're not spending the night together to affect Nisuin. This is just a stop on the Derech. Even though her Ksuba, so to speak, is in the house of her husband, in other words, let's say the dowry has already been delivered to her husband, excuse me, if she dies on the way, <coughs> ultimately, again, her father goes ahead and inherits her. But I will say, why does her father, <coughs> excuse me, why does her father inherit her in this case? Because remember again, the, shlu, the father is accompanying them along this journey. Okay, Masra But if the father goes ahead and hands her over to the shluchim of the Baal, or ultimately again the agents of the father hand her over to the agents of the Baal, or halacha lemaisa again, they're traveling, and he has a chotzer on the way, and they spend the night there. imo and they spend the night there together to the shame nisuin to affect nisuin. Even though the dowry property might still be in the house of our father, Mesa, if she dies, Baila Yarsha. Ultimately, again, her husband inherits her. If you notice over here in this Braisa, so what is the discussion about? In other words, when we say that she's given over to, once she's given over to her husband, in the second case, essentially she's in the domain of her husband, what, what, what matter are we discussing? Lirujasa. In terms of who inherits her, so what you see over here is at most the discussion is what the discussion is regarding who's going to inherit her, right? If she dies on the way to her husband's home, who inherits her? So in case number one, where the father or the agents of the father are present, the father's going to inherit her. In case number two, where the father is not present, the agents of the father are not present, her husband inherits her. But if you notice, what never comes up in discussion? Truma. Why? Because everyone is going to agree. Well, everyone. Because the rice is making it clear that halacha lamaisa, a woman doesn't eat truma until she enters into chuppah. To yufta, to kulhu, to yufta. This ultimately, again, Rashi points out over here, refutes everyone. Rashi doesn't literally refutes everyone. It refutes everyone who's arguing on Shmuel. Because Shmuel was the one who said that halacha lamaisa, when the father hands her over to the husband, to the agents of the husband, at that point in time, the husband will inherit her. But halacha lamaisa, no discussion of truma. And I both said, I will point out over here, the Bryce, the Gemara is not going to go on to discuss a different matter of discussion. But Lamaisa, this concludes the Truma discussion. So how do we pass him? See, interestingly enough, there, I, 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 tomorrow I'll, I'll share with you the Lashon of the Rambam, but the Rambam has a beautiful Lashon. The Rambam essentially says that Halacha Lamaisa is how we pass him, that there is no Truma consumption until a woman enters into Chobah. Until a woman enters Chobah, until a woman enters into base Baila. So only after complete Nisuin is affected, and only after they are living together as husband and wife, does a woman have the ability to go ahead and eat truma? Then I will say, we're going to see, up until now, the re- Remember, we, we, we went through this again a little bit. Midaraisa, when could a woman begin to eat truma? Let's go through this just for a second. When could a woman begin to eat truma? Midaraisa, right? Erison. Erison, because ultimately, again, once she's Kenyan Kasposa, once, once she's acquired by the husband, Halachalamaisa, she should be able to eat truma. Why don't we let her eat her? Why don't we let her eat truma during Erison? 
We're concerned that since she's living in her father's home, what's going to happen? She's going to get truma from her chassan, and she's going to go ahead and end up sharing it with her Yisrael family. We're going to see there's another reason. We, we alluded to it in yesterday's daf. We're going to see the sugya, what we call simfon. What we're concerned about is that perhaps they're going to get married. He's going to discover some type of mum, some type of blemish that is going to be cause for voiding of the marriage. And it turns out retroactively, the whole thing was a mekachtos. And therefore, if she's eating truma already, it turns out, forget about giving to her family. For her also, now it turns out that she's a Yisraelis who was consuming truma. So we haven't seen that second reason yet. The Gemara here has alluded to it. We'll get to that sugya. But the point is, therefore, the Rambam Paskins, halacha lamaisa, there is no truma consumption until after Nisuin Bebeis Baila. Good. So now the Gemara is going to point out, there was an interesting, interesting point in this. Mishnah, Hagufa, in this Brayse, Hagufa Kasha. Amrit, we said before, Nichnesa, I also remember again in the two cases, in the Brayse we had before, case number one, where they spent the night, she had a Chatzra along the way. Second case, second, and again, the way the, the, way the Brayse phrased it was, they spent the night, not Lashem Nisuin, just because they were, they, were, they were sleeping there that night, it was a long journey. Case number two is he had a chazer, he had a chazer, they spent the night, and they spent the night l'shem nisuin. So says the Gimara, Haguva Kasha, Amrit Nichnesa Imololun, they spent the night, Taima Delalun, Hastam l'shem nisuin. So both say, the reason why nisuin wasn't affected was because they made it explicitly clear that they were just spending the night because it was a long journey. Taima Lalun, we're just staying here tonight, there's no nisuin. Hastama, if they would not have articulated that, we would have assumed that when Hassan and Kala spend the night together in the same place, that's for Nisuin. Ema Seifa, yet look at the Seifa. Nirna Seima Lashem Nisuin, Hastama Lalun. Yet, if you look at the Seifa, the second case, it said they went in Lashem Nisuin. So it sounds like it has to be Lashem Nisuin. Hastama, if there was no articulated purpose, we would assume they're just spending the night, not Nisuin. Amravashi, Stami Stami Katani. Stam Chatzur Dida Lalun. They will say when they spend the night in her chater, the assumption is they're not affecting nisuin. Stam chater diday lenisuin. But if they spend the night in his chater, the assumption is it is for nisuin. Shabbos, it makes sense. Why? Because as we're going to see when we get into our definitions of chuppah, but part of the concept of chuppah is that chuppah represents the rishus of the husband. The rishus of the husband. Shabbos, I say, therefore, again, what the Gemara is identifying over here is. If in this case, where father handed girl, girl over, daughter over, to the agents of the husband, they're traveling. Along the way, the husband has a chutzr. They spend the night in that chutzr. The assumption is the night they spend together in that chutzr, nisuin is being affected. Why? Because you're spending it in the rishus of the husband. I also point out to you, there are opinions in halacha that hold that but when a chassan and kala get married contemporarily and you have a chuppah that the chassan himself is obligated to be, to be kona the area of the chuppah he has to be sokar he has to rent from the caterer from the from the hall the actual area of the chuppah because the chuppah according to some represents the domain of the husband the rishus of the husband and therefore mamish he has to be the owner of it just to show you that that's based by law okay well, we'll see. We'll see those cases as well. Tana, Master Abdushulfing about Vizinsa was an interesting case. So now, father gave over his daughter to the Shluchim of the husband, Vizinsa. And then I will say, on the way, so now she's going back to the home of her, home of her husband. 
And on the way, she's mezana, she commits adultery. What's Talacha? Harezu Bechenek. Ultimately, again, she's killed by Chenek. Now, we'll see, we saw this already a couple of days ago. The punishment for adultery during Erisin is Skila. The punishment for adultery, ultimately, again, what we call Aftenisuin, is already going to be, is going to be Chenek. Two different forms. So the idea over here is that since she's being punished by Chenek, that seems to indicate to us that some level of Nisuin has been affected by the mere handing over of the girl to the Shluchim of the Baal. Rashi is about five lines up from the bottom, six lines up from the bottom. So you see over here, once she's handed over into the Rashus of the husband, so we'll say, but what you begin to see, what you begin to see is happening over here from the Mishnah is essentially, once the girl is given over by her father, even to the Shluchim of the husband, she has entered into the Rashus of her husband for certain things but not for others. So it's almost as if, it's a strange thing to say, but there's a quasi-nisuin that is affected, that makes her a nisua for certain things, but not for other things. So therefore, again, where do we know this? So how do I know that once she's handed over to the agents of the husband, she effectively morphs into a nisua to the point that if she committed adultery, now she would be punished by chanek. So the Liznos base aviha. As the Pazik says, the Pazik is actually talking about the Naru Murasa, but it says, Liznos Beis Aviyah, she committed Znus in her father's home. Prat, that was it, that's taught. Now, by Naraha Murasa, by a girl who's, who's had Erisin, who commits adultery, the Pazik says that she's killed by Skila, by stoning. That's this Pazik. So the Torah says, why? Because Liznos Beis Aviyah, she gets Skila because she committed Znus in the home of her father. Prat l'shemasra av l'shluchim abal. This comes to exclude a case where the father has already given her over to the shluchim of the husband because she's no longer bevei saviha. And if she's no longer bevei saviha, therefore what? She's no longer punished by skila. Rather, she's punished by chenek. Maybe it comes to an excluded case where the girl has entered into the chuppah but has not yet had bia. And so therefore, in that case, halacha l'maysah. Allah says maybe in that case she's punished by Chenek and not by Skila. Amar Rava, Amar Li Ami, Chuppah Behejek Sivan. And Chuppah is explicitly stated, Kit Yihya Na'ra Besula Ma'orasa Le'ish. But when the Torah speaks about again, the Na'ra Me'orasa, so the Pasuk says, what do we learn out from this phrase? Me'orasa V'lo Nesua. Erisin and not Nesuan. My Nesua. Ilay Benesua Mamish. If you say that it means Nesuan, Haile Besula. V'lo Be'ula. From that phrase, we can learn that halacha, but from our phrase, Liznos Beis Aviha, what do we learn? That when does a girl get skila for, for adultery? That's when she is in Arusa, where? Living in her father's home. But once she is given over to the shluchim of the husband, even though what? Technically, she's still in Arusa. But that act of giving her over to the shluchim of her husband, essentially, for punishment purposes, makes her what? Makes her what? A nesua. And therefore, if she commits adultery, she'll be punished by chenek and not by skila. Okay, tap of memtes, until lighter matters. Ve'ima, hecha dehadra lebeinasha, hadra lemilsa kamaisa. Here's what's interesting. Okay, so now, we've been dealing with this same case, right? 
Ruvain's marrying Rachel Mazeltov. So what happens? Ruvain lives in a faraway place. So he sends his agents, he sends his shlukim to go ahead and pick up his wife, escort her back to his home. Father gives over, father gives over Rachel, ultimately again to the shlukim of the Baal. Let's say now, let's say now, on the way, whatever it is, Ruvain dies. Ruvain dies. So now Rachel comes back home. Rachel comes back home. Okay. So I might have thought that if Rachel comes back home, if Rachel comes back home, maybe she regains her former Nara state. In other words, what happens in a case where after having handed over his daughter to the Shluchim of the Baal, the marriage doesn't materialize. So you both say, obviously, if Rachel goes to Ruben's home, they get married, they have Nisu, and they get divorced, or she's widowed, of course she doesn't go back to her father's home. That's not a Shiloh. Right? We're talking about over here, father gave her over to the agents of Ruben, and now on the way, Ruben died. So now, Eid Nebuch, agents go ahead now and bring her back home. She'll come bring her back home. So I might have thought that now she comes back home, Maybe she's once again just like a regular Nara, and therefore her father has all the same rights in her as he had as a Nara. Says, right, so Amarava, Hahu Kvar Paska Tanadir Bishwab. I'll say third line down from the top, Memtes Amadava, 49a. So this already was, this, this, this matter was Paskin already by the Tanadir Bishwab. The Tanadir Bishwab, Veneder Amono Ugrusha, Kalasher Asra Al Nafsha Yakum Allah. So I'll say, what does the Torah say? Benedarim. If an amana, a widow, or a grusha, a divorcee, makes a neder, anything that she is prohibited upon herself, yakum aleha. Yakum aleha means what? Shall remain upon her. Which means they're both saying that when you, have a, 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 when you have a grusha or an amana, there's no one to annul her vows. Right? There's no husband in the picture. So there's no one to annul her vows. Therefore, again, whatever vows she makes, by definition, stand. So the Gemara says, We'll say, such a woman is removed from the domain of her father, because once a woman has Nisuin, she is removed from the domain of her father, and of course she is removed from the domain of her husband. Now when we say she's removed from the domain of her husband, why? Why? Because either her husband is dead or divorced. Ella, rather, what must be the case? So we'll say, meaning, that would be obvious. That, 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 that's obvious. Obviously, again, if a woman is divorced or a woman is widowed, of course, her, ne- her nedarim are up to her. So it must be coming to teach us something additional as well. Watch this. Ella, Rather, we'll say, it must be, here's the following case. Father gave his daughter over to the shluchim of the husband. Or the agents of the father gave her over to the agents of the husband. And now let's say on the way, so, so Rachel has never reached Ruvain's home. On the way, she is widowed. Onis Gersha, or on the way, Ruvain divorces her. Heich ani koreba. So how do I categorize this girl? Beis avia shalzu, or beis baila shalzu? In other words, whose home is she associated with? Is she associated with her husband's home? Is she associated with her father's home? El alomar that I will say it's fascinating. So again, this is another example. Rather, rather again, what do you see? What do you see from here? Once she leaves her father's home, she doesn't go back. Now I will say, of course, she can go back and live there. That's not what it's saying. Halachically, once the father hands her over to the agents of the husband, she has halachically 
left her father's home. So Shabbosai, what you begin to see, what you begin to see is that Halacha Lamaise, as the Mishnah said, once a father hands over his daughter to the Shluchim of the Baal, that daughter has entered into the Rishus of her husband. So to a certain degree, she becomes a quasi-Nesua. When I say quasi-Nesua, so remember, let's go through how does she become a Nesua? Well, let's work backwards. Number one is that if she committed adultery, she gets chenek like a Nesua, and not Skila, like an Arusa. Number two, if she dies on the way, her husband inherits her. Husband inherits her. It's now, again, number three, once she leaves her father's home, father, for example, no longer has the right to annul her vows. Right? That's, that's done. That's done. Sounds like husband would have the right to annul her vows. It seems to be the one area in which she's not considered to be like a full-fledged Nesua is what? Truma. Good. So, we learned this as well. If a man has relations with, with a Nara Ma'urasa, so we'll say, so again, this is talking about a girl, a Nara, who is betrothed to someone else. Right? Betrothed to someone else. So what happens? So we'll say, so the particular din of Nara Ma'urasa has certain criteria. Number one, that she's a Nara. Number two, that she's a Basula. And number two, that she's living Bevei Saviha. So Bishlomo Nara, I understand Nara, because Nara means Nara Velo Geras. Basula means Basula Velo Baula. Meurasa means Meurasa Velo Nesua. Bevei Saviha Le Meute Mai. What does it mean Bevei Saviha? What does that mean? What is that criteria? My love Le Meute Masra Av Lushluche Habal. It must be come to exclude what? A case of where the father already handed the girl over to the shluchim of the husband. Because once a girl, so, we'll say, so for example, the particular halacha of na'arahan me'urasa, where again, punishable by skila, and we've learned the story of na'arahan me'urasa, so again, the Torah goes out of its way to say that where is she? She's beves aviha. So the Gemara is saying, what is beves aviha? What is that halacha? coming to go ahead and teach me, right? What, what, what is that coming to teach me? So ultimately, again, what is coming to teach me is that halacha l'maysa, halacha l'maysa, once comes to exclude where the father has handed over his daughter to the shluchim of the husband. Because ultimately, again, once that transfer has occurred, the girl has left her father's domain. If a man commits adultery, we just saw this halacha before. If a man has relations with a married woman, even if she has not yet had nisuin, meaning she has not yet, I should say differently, even though she has not yet had relations with her husband, so formal nisuin has not been affected, Ultimately, again, if he has relations with her, that act of adultery is punishable by chenek. Now, say, let's go back for just a second. What is the punishment for committing adultery with an arusa? Arusa? Skila. Right? Punishment for committing adultery with an isua? Chenek. So what do you see from here? If a man has committed adultery with a woman who has entered in, who has left with the shluchim of her husband, even though she has not yet had relations with her husband. She hasn't yet entered into chuppah with her husband. Nevertheless, punishment for adultery with her is chenek. 
What do you see from here? That once a woman is handed over to the agents of her husband, to the of her husband, she has entered into Rishos Baila, and therefore again, is, is a, already a quasi-Nesua. So the Gemara said, Nichnas Rishos Ba'alma, Shmamina. So both say, this is the conclusion of this sugya. Sa'aloch again, what do we see? We see that indeed, when a father goes ahead and hands over his Arusa daughter, to the shluchim of her husband, of her husband. And I both say, now again, handing over his daughter to the shluchim of her husband means what? That what is the father doing? The father is withdrawing. Because what we've seen is like, if the father gives over to the shluchim, but the father has some separation anxiety, right? So he goes in and he's, he's accompanying his daughter the entire way. That's not called Mesir Labal. That's not called the giving over to the husband. But assuming the father gives over his daughter to the Shluchim of the husband, and then the father stays away. So essentially, that girl becomes an Asua, again, in a number of different ways. Number one, for punishment purposes, adultery with her is punishable by Chenek and not by Skila. Number two, if she dies on the way, ultimately, again, the husband will inherit her. Will inherit her, and but Allah Chalamai says, seems to be the one area where she's not in the sewer is going to be truma. Beautiful. We'll say Mishnah. Ha'av, this is an incredible, incredible soya. Ha'av bito. A father is not obligated to support his daughter. Okay. So we'll say. So now, what that statement means and where that statement came from is going to require a lot of explanation. And of course, what's missing from the Mishnah? What's missing from the Mishnah? What about sons? What about sons? Good. We're going to see it. Really fascinating so again with us. So watch this. Medrash, Zutzet Medrash, Darsh, Rabbi Eloza ben Azariah, the Fein Chachamim. Rabbi Eloza ben Azariah, Darshind, the following drasha before the Chachamim. I will say, if you take a look at Rashi, Rashi says, Zutzet Medrash, Darsh, Rabbi Eloza ben Azariah. Um, it's like about 20 lines down from the four lines get wide. So, Biyom Shemanu Nasi. So we'll say, this is incredible. On the day that they made Rabbi Eloza ben Azariah the Nasi, right, the head of the yeshiva, he dashed his dash in the bush. And now remember again. Remember, you know Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah. You remember Sechus Brachos. ben Shevim Shana. So you have to understand something. Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah is appointed Nasi at the age of 18. When he went ahead and he gave that first shear, right, in yeshiva, that, 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 was a, that was a big day. That was a big day. First of all, because remember again, he's a young guy, even though he looked old, right? I look like I'm 70. But everyone knew that he was really a young man. So here you have a, a young man, assuming he's taking over for the, for the, for the venerator of a Gamil, right? It was a huge, it was a huge power shift, huge power shift. So this is the drasha that he is delivering on the first day. So I will say, what's the drasha? What's the drasha? So listen to this. So Zet Medrish Darash Shabalazab and Azariah Nechachamim Bekerem Biyavne. I will say, Kerem Biyavne literally means the vineyard in Yavne. What's the vineyard in Yavne? So again, Rashi says, this in, in, the, the, in the base Medrish that was in Yavne. Why do they call the base Medrish? Why do they call the base Medrish? A Kerem, a vineyard. Rashi says, Ashem Shayoshvin Shuros Shuros Bekerem. Because remember again, they, they, they would sit by rows. So just like a vineyard has rows and rows of vines. So so to again, in the Mishnah, they made rows and rows of seats. So I will say, by the way, there's something beautiful in this also. Do you remember the Gemara Masechus Brachos? Do you remember that what, one of the things Rabbi Lotzah ben Azariah did on his first day on the job is what did he do? Rabbi Gamliel had posted guards by the entranceway of the base Medrash. And he said, the only people allowed in the base Medrash are who? People who are tocho kibaro. 
I only want genuine Tamidi Chachamim. Genuine people. You have, you have to be genuine inside and out. Rebbe Elizabeth Azariah took away the guards, threw the doors of the base medrash open, and the Gemara says so beautifully, so beautifully, that that day they had to add rows and rows of benches to the base medrash. Kerem Biyavna. Rebbe they had to add rows and rows because there were so many people who were kept out because of this high bar, Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Elizabeth Azariah says, that's not Yiddishkeit. We do not believe in an elitist religion. We are not elitist. We don't believe in an elitist-based medrash. Throw the doors open. Whoever wants to come, come in and learn. They added on rows and rows of benches. They can be Avna. Shabbos says, so is the drasha. What was the drasha? Habanim yirshu v'avanos yazunu. The sons inherit and the daughters are supported. Shabbos they we're going to see Interestingly enough, that this is, look at Rashi, look at Rashi. We don't have time for this Rashi, but we always have to make time for Rashi. So look at this. This is actually fascinating. Rashi says, So we'll say, there are two, there are two different halachas, two takonas that Bezin established by the ksuva of a woman. What are they? So we'll say, there's a concept of benin dichrin. We're going to see this later on. So number one is the concept. Again, we're we introduced this now. We're going to see later on. Benin Dichrin. Benin Dichrin literally means male sons. I will say it was written into a ksuva of a woman like this. Right, Rachel marries Ruvain. Rachel marries Ruvain. In her ksuva it says, My sons will inherit my ksuva. Now, what, what does that mean? What that means is like this. Rachel knows that Ruvain might marry someone else. And therefore, there might be additional sons as well. So Rachel stipulated in her ksuba, or this was stipulated in every ksuba, what we call ksuba in the ksuba of male sons, that a mother wants her sons to inherit her ksuba above and beyond whatever their share in their father's estate is going to be. So should I die, should I die, I want my sons to inherit my ksuba. That's called ben different. Then I will say, that's takan number one. And we'll see all of this. That's takan number one. Takan number two, I will say, was that ultimately, again, vabonos yazunu, so the sons inherit and the daughters should be supported. What's this? Look at Rashi. Vabonos yazunu, benin nukvon, ti yahavon lechiminai, daughters that I have with you, inon yahavin yasvin bebeisiu, mezin binechase, aditis bagron, and the 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 say is that a mother would stipulate my daughters are to be supported by you by Ruben by you or your estate up until the time they reach Bagrus or until they get married. So here you go. So now Rabbi Elizabeth Azariah Darshind Banim Yershu ultimately sons inherit sons inherit specifically the ksuba of their mother habanos yazunu and daughters are supported by the estate now. Just like sons only inherit when? After the death of their father. So two daughters are only supported when? After the death of their father. So remember again, this drasha supports the opening phrase of the Mishnah. What did the opening phrase of the Mishnah say? That a father is not chayiv to support his daughter. Okay? Rabbi Lazar ben makes a drasha. And Elizabeth ben Azariah says, we equate the inheritance of a son with the support of a daughter. Just like the inheritance of a son only comes when? Only comes when? 
after the death of a parent, okay, again, whether it's the death of a father, death of a mother, ultimately support of a daughter, obligatory support of a daughter is only triggered when? Upon the death of the father, or upon the death of a parent, that is when the estate has to support them. Okay, good. Well, we'll delve into this more. Says the Gemara. So we'll say, it sounds like from the Mishnah, that is only if a daughter who a father is not obligated to support, but a son, he is obligated to support. So the Gemara says, so, sorry, says, no, no, no. What the Mishnah needs to say is like this. There may not be an obligation to support one's daughter, but there's certainly a mitzvah. So we'll say, so just to get our terms straight over on the Skimara. Chova means obligation. Mitzvah means something very good you should do, but not obligatory. So what the Gemara just posited was like this. The Mishnah is telling me, Ha'av eno chayiv b'mezonos pito. A father is not obligated. There is, no, there is no obligation to support one's father. But the Gemara is positing, there's a mitzvah. There's a mitzvah. Whereas the Gemara might be saying is, there may be a chayiv to support one's sons. Okay. So the Gemara says, well, let's analyze this. Money must listen. Whose opinion does our Mishnah reflect? Lo rabbi meir, for lo rabbi udo, lo rabbi yochel, remember it doesn't reflect any of these three opinions. Why not? Here we go. Disanyo, mitzvah lazun es habanos, kavachomer lebanim da askim bator di Rabbi Meir. Shabbos say Rabbi Meir holds it is a mitzvah. Shabbos say now again, what does mitzvah mean? What does mitzvah mean? Something good. Something good you should do. It is a mitzvah to support your daughters. Kavachomer, it's a mitzvah to support your sons. Why? Because your sons have an obligation to learn Torah. Div Rabbi Meir. Shabbos say, and Rabbi Meir's worldview. What's the nature of a support for children? What's the nature of a support? Mitzvah for both. In other words, there's no obligation to support sons or daughters. Or daughters. But it's a mitzvah to support your daughters, certainly it's a to support your sons. Okay. Rabbi Yudomer, mitzvah lazun es habarim, lebanos. And Rabbi Yudah says, it is a mitzvah to go ahead and support your sons. Kavachomer the daughters. It's the reverse. The Gemara says, mishum zilusa. Ultimately, I say because ultimately, again, if halacha lamaisa, the daughters have to go ahead and beg, right, and go out and collect, it's degrading for them. Rabbi Yochum Abroka Omer, Chova Lazun Es Habanos, Misa Rabbi Yochum says there is an obligation to support daughters after the death of their father. But ultimately, again, during the lifetime of the father, neither sons or daughters are supported. So money must need. So who's it mean? Does a Mishnah reflect? E Rabbi Meir, if it's Rabbi Meir, Ha'amar Banim Mitzvah, he said there's mitzvah for sons, right? And our Mishnah seemed to indicate that what? That what? There's an obligation for sons, right? Because the Mishnah doesn't even discuss sons. So the Mishnah just says, there is no obligation to support your daughter. So the logical inference from the Mishnah is what? There is an obligation to support your sons. So it came to Rabbi Meir, because even because Rabbi Meir holds there's no obligation even for sons, it's just a mitzvah. E Rabbi Huda, Ha'amar Banim Nami Mitzvah. If it's Rabbi Huda, he holds Banim are also a mitzvah. E Rabbi, Rabbi Yochaman Baroka, Filu Mitzvah Nami Lecha. Rabbi Yochaman Baroka says, Nami Na Mitzvah. So whose opinion does the Mishnah reflect? Ibai Sayyid Rabbi Meir, Ibai Sayyid Rabbi Huda, Ibai Sayyid Rabbi Yochaman Baroka. So the Gemara wants to suggest the truth is, you can read all three opinions into the Mishnah. How so? Here we go. Ibai Sayyid Rabbi Meir, maybe it's Rabbi Meir, Vahachikamar, that's what it means to say, Ha'av, Enochayyib, Mizonos Pito. 
a father is not obligated in the mezonos of his daughter. That's the Mishnah Bos, right? A father is not obligated to support his daughter. Vahuadin libno. And ultimately, he's not obligated for his son either. Ha mitzvah bebito ika. But there is a mitzvah to support his, his daughter. Kavachomer lebonim. Ultimately, again, for sons as well. Vahadik tani bito. So why does the Mishnah single out daughter if there's no obligation really to support anyone? Ha kamashmalan da'afilu amadeis. It singles out daughter to teach you that there's no obligation for daughter, but there still is a mitzvah. Okay, so that's how the Mishnah can read according to Rabbi, Rabbi Meir. Or the other possibility is, it can be Rabbi Yehuda. This is what it means to say. A father is not obligated in the support of his daughter. No. And all the more so, right? The Choshekin is certainly not obligated in his son. Ha mitzvah bebinoika, but there is a mitzvah for his son. Kavachomer lebanos. Ultimately, again, a kavachomer is a mitzvah for the daughters. Bahadik tani bito, and that why did the Mishnah single out bito? Ha kamashlam da'afilu bito chovaleka to teach me ultimately again that even by daughter, even by daughter, there is no obligation. Okay, the Bible says Rabbi Yochanan Baruka. You can also read the Mishnah like Rabbi Yochanan Baruka. How so? What does it mean to say? Enu chayv mizonos pito. A father is not obligated in the mizonos of his daughter. Vehuad din libno. And ultimately, again, this is the din. Vehuad din libno. This is the din. Ultimately, for his son. Vehuad sinimar says not chayv for either of them. Vehuad din da'filu mitzvah nami laka. And in reality, Rabbi Yochanan Baruka would say. There's not even a mitzvah to support one's children. But since ultimately, again, there is an obligation after the death of the father to support the daughters, therefore the Mishnah phrased it in the form of chova. Okay, ultimately, again, it appears that one could read the Mishnah in accordance with any of the opinions. But I will say, Here's what becomes clear. What becomes clear is that the Mishnah is teaching me there is no obligation to support one's daughters. The machlokes, again, is going to be halacha lamaisa. Number one, well, is there an obligation to support sons? Right? So that by itself is a machlokes. And if you hold there's no obligation to support sons or daughters, is there at least a concept of a mitzvah? That it is a good thing to do. So both say, now the Gemara takes a sharp turn. Watch this. Now, what, what's going on in Usha? Look at Rashi. Third line down from the top. Usha Skinu. Sanhedrin Sanhedrin when the Sanhedrin left the Lishkas Hagozis. When they left the chamber of hewn stone by the base Hamikdash, this is Second Temple era. They went ahead and they were exiled in eleven different places. One of the places they were exiled in was in Usha. Was in Usha. So they saw a number of incredible takanas came out in Usha. So one of the things they legislated in Usha is incredible. Was we ready for this? Busha eskinu she adam zan as banavas benosav kishem kitanim. They made a takon on Usha. And what was the takon on Usha? You have to support your kids. Now, how long do you have to support your kids? Kishem kitanim. 
Now both say, what, what, what does that mean? Right? Is this a halachic katan? Right? Is this a katan, a boy, right? Until 13, a girl until 12? So we're going to see. We're going to see. I'm, I have the incredible Yitzhahara to jump to the Rambam now, but I'm going to resist. I'm working on myself. I'm going to resist. So we'll, we'll come back to this a little bit. Because I both say, we're going to see ultimately, we're going to look at the Shulchan Arach and the Rambam in this. Because halacha lamais, again, the Rambam's verbiage over here. Doing it. Okay, no, we're going to go back there. Okay, so here's what we have. So we have a Mishnah that tells me that you don't have to support your daughters. Okay? At all. At all. We're then going, now we see in Usha Anutakana, you have to support your kids until they are through, through, while they're Katanim. How old? What level of support? And by the way, like, who does this cover? Who does this cover? Which kids? This sounds like both boys and girls, right? But there's no distinction in sons, daughters. Okay. Ibailu. So I'll say, so now, they made halacha and usha, that you have to support your kids. Does the halacha follow that or not? So here we go. Tashma, I'll say, this is incredible. So, so, now, so now that's the shayla. So I'll say, so now, we have a Mishnah, I just want to point out what's happening. I have a Mishnah that says, I have no obligation to support my daughters. Okay, now we see three-way machlokas, whether or not I even have an obligation to support my sons. Usha atakana, you have to support your minor children. Whatever kata means, we'll get to that. You have to support your kata. So does the halacha follow that or not? So we'll say this is absolutely incredible. Look, look at these gemaras. Does the halacha follow this takana in usha or not? So tashma, get ready for this. Wild. When they came over Rabbi Yehuda, Amr lehu yarod yalda. Let me give you the context over here. So ultimately, again, look at Rashi. Tashma, the less Now, here's what I want to point out. When the Gemara says that, does the halacha follow this takana in Usha? What's the question? What's the question? The question is, if we have a case of a father who's not supporting his kids, can we go ahead and extract money from him for the support of his family. Seif Ta'alacha follows that the Kanan Usha. The answer is, the answer is, yes. If not, if not, then we can't extract. The most we could do is what? The most we could do is what? There is a very powerful tool to get people to do things, and it is public shaming, right? Social pressure. Social pressure. So we'll say, so here's the case. Here's the case. There was a guy. There was a guy. There was a guy who was not supporting his kids. He wasn't supporting his kids. He came before Rabbi Huda, Amr Luhu, so Rabbi Huda said to about this guy, Yarod Yolda, the Masa Shaje, the jackal, has given birth and he's left his young to the community. I will say now, apparently, the jackal, Rashi says, Vuach Zari Abbanov. I guess apparently the jackal is not kind to its young. So Rabbi Huda comes along and he says about this guy, the jackal. He's calling him a jackal in the public. And now the community has to support the jackal's kids. When this guy, again, another guy who wasn't supporting his kids came before Rav Chista. So do me a favor. Take the mortar. Turn over the mortar. Right? I mean, essentially what Rabbi Huda is saying is give me a soapbox. Right? Take the mortar. Turn it over. I'm going to stand up on it in public. Even the raven, even the raven has compassion upon its kids. This guy doesn't have compassion upon his kids. So I'll say, what, what's happening over here? These are cases of public shaming. So these great rabbanim were shaming these deadbeat dads 
into going ahead and taking care of their kids. So the Gemara says, by the way, the Orva Bai Bani, really, the raven has compassion upon his kids. Vaksif, we learn, Libne Orva Shaloi Kro, Vosay Pasikin Tilim. No sin Hashem gives food to the animal. Libne Orva Shay Kro, to the children of the raven who call out. But apparently, the idea is that what? That the parent, right, the mother, the father of raven, don't take care of their kids. Who does take care of them? To which the words, Lokashia, this is incredible. One is talking about a white raven, one is talking about a black raven. What, what's, what's the pshat? Say, take a look at Rashi. This is actually quite fascinating. Rashi says over here, say, apparently, when the raven is born, it's white. So the black parents don't recognize the white raven. In other words, it's fascinating. In other words, that halach that, that, when the child is born, right, the child doesn't look like the parent. So because of that, there's a certain degree of alienation from the child. As the raven gets older, I guess the pigmentation changes. It begins, it's black. It begins to look like the parent. Then the parent has Rachmanus on it. It's incredible. Rashi says, Ochmi, Keshagadul Mashir, as the raven gets older, it darkens. And ultimately, again, the father and the mother love it. In the beginning, ultimately, again, the raven is white. And therefore, the parents despise it. Which will say, such a profound yisod of how parental love cannot be predicated on my child doing exactly what I want and how I want them to do it. That's raven love, right? Raven love is when you look like me, you behave like me, you do like me, then I'll love you. But if you don't look like me, you don't behave like me, you don't do like me, I don't love you. That's not a way to love a child. A parent's love for a child has to be unconditional. Even at the end of the day, when the child does not look like me, when the child does not behave like me, when the child does not follow in my ways, when the child does not do the right things in life, I love my child because my child is my child. Again, does parental love, you know, ebb and flow? You know, does it have peaks and valleys? Of course. Is it the same or does it manifest itself in the same way for every child? Of course not. But it's so profound. Raven love is conditional. Right? Raven love is conditional on the child being exactly like the parent. Real parental love has to be an unconditional. Such an incredible yourself. So the Gemara says, okay, so leaving ravens aside, when these uh, deadbeat fathers would come before Rava, so Rava gave them Musa. Rava would say, tell me, do you think your children should be supported by tzedakah? Right? So Rava say, now what do you see from here? What do you see from all these cases? What do you see from here? What was the tool that these Rabbanim had? What was the tool? Shaming. What was the tool apparently it didn't have? Seizing of assets. Which tells you that what? Which tells you that what? It doesn't appear that the halacha was like the Takana and Usha. Or so we'll say, which is really fascinating. Because what do, you mean, what do you mean the halacha is not like the Takana and Usha? If they make a Takana and Usha, that's what the halacha is. It sounds like, it sounds like, although they made a Takana and Usha, it sounds like what? It didn't take. That, 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 that's just, again, we're going to see what the Allah Chalamais is, but it's fascinating that it seems just like societally they had difficulty implementing this halacha. And therefore, again, we'll say, obviously, also, yeah, okay, well, so it sounds like difficulty implementing halacha. So, therefore, again, the tool that was used was public shaming. Allah Amran, this idea 
that we don't force or we can't force a father to support his children is only when What was that? means is we don't know if the father has money or not. Let's say we know the father has money. We know the father has money, right? However we know, we know. Then Then ultimately we will force a father to support his kids. So the Gemara says, As Rava forced Rabbi Nassim Ba'ami, I will say, Rabbi Nassim Ba'ami wasn't a deadly father. This is a different case. He forced Rabbi Nassim Ba'ami to give tzedakah. Rabbi said, there's a concept of kofen ala tzedakah. That halakha lamaisa, again, if the community needs funds, and you know that somebody needs funds and not paying their share, you could force them to pay in an organized community. Rabbi said, when you think about it, if there's a child that needs to be supported and he's not being supported, you can force the father to go ahead and support him if you know the father has money, because that's no different than kofen al tzedakah. So interesting. So although it appears that in a general case, they, weren't, they could not force a father to support. They could shame a father into supporting. However, if we know for sure that the father has resources, in that case, you can force him, you can extract, can compel him to pay. So again, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do the halakha al-maisa, we're going to do the halakha al-maisa on that sugya tomorrow, because it's really, I'm telling you, it's, it's riveting. It's absolutely riveting. So let's just go a little bit weiter. If a man goes ahead and gives over his entire estate to his children while he's alive, then I will say, by the way, you'll ask yourself, well, why would anyone do that? People do it today, right? It's actually, it's a, it's a, it's a um, what's the word? A tax planning thing, right? Where again, if a person's going to need long-term care, this is free advice, by the way, this is free, right? And a person is going to need long-term care, there's like a look-back period for moving about, okay, all these different things. So a father and a mother are giving over their entire estate to their children while they're still alive. In Usha, they made a takana that ultimately, again, hiskinu, that what? That ishtoni zonimehem, that the parents are still supported by the estate. In other words, even though my wife and I have given over our entire estate to our children, and Usha, they said the parents are still supported by the estate. And it was like, we'll stop over here. Again, I think we were caught, we're caught up with the rest of the Dafyomi world for the most part. Let's say, so we'll stop over here today. So tomorrow coming attractions, more incredible Takanas of Usha. I'm telling you, incredible. Incredible, and on the din of supporting one's children all tomorrow. All right, everyone, Zoom, everyone, have a great day.